Welcome to Golf Better at Edwin Watts Golf, episode 121. Hello, everyone. My name is Tom Brussell. Thanks once again for joining us. We say it every time, whether you're a first-time listener or a long-time subscriber to the show. Either way, we're glad you're with us. And, you know, last month about this time, we were doing an episode on gift-giving, what some great gifts would be golf equipment-wise. But one thing we don't touch on enough is maybe the gift of golf instruction, because all that equipment is great, but uh, you need some guidance with it. And who better to join us than our guest today? He's known as the Results Coach. He is the Golf Magazine's Top 100 teacher. He's at a Cowboys Golf Club in the Dallas Metroplex. Who else? Mr. Sean Humphrey. Sean, thanks so much for carving out the time. We know you're busy, but uh, thanks for taking time for us and our listeners. Hey, thank you very much for having me on the show. How are you doing today? We're doing great. Doing great. You know, Before we get into it, a lot of the, our listeners like to know a little bit about our guest background. Like last year, we had Lee Trevino on, and so many people, some of the young listeners know Lee Trevino in golf, but didn't know how he grew up. But Sean, talk a little bit about how you got involved in the game as a player and then where you got to where you are now. Uh, you know, well, gosh, Lee Trevino, I mean, I, I can't even stand in the same room with that guy. What a background he had. My goodness, what a what an illustrious career um, he had. I'll tell you probably, you know, about Trevino, um, he's probably one of the best ball strikers that I have ever seen in my life. Um, Mo Norman is up there as well, but Trevino, uh, he could do things with a golf ball. Uh, that, you know, even the modern day, you know, you know, he was kind of a modern day player too, but even the, the younger players still today, uh, can't do. Um, and, and being uh, an instruction, you can appreciate, it. I mean, he's basically self-made. Yeah, he is, you know, he's, uh, perfectly raw talent and he took what he, uh, had and he, he even learned more, um, about his game and how to manage the ball and manage the flight. And there's nobody that really flighted his golf ball better than Trevino. I mean, he could, he could hit, you know, probably the most difficult shot in golf and win tournaments with it and hit a low cut. And, you know, a low fade, That's it's very, very difficult to do that um, intentionally. <laughs> you know, a lot of people can do it accidentally. You know, he, he's a West Texas guy, and I actually grew up um, just right outside of Tulsa in a real small oil town uh, called Milwata, N-O-W-A-T-A. And uh, there was only just a few thousand people uh, in our town, but the good thing that we had was kind of our saving grace is we had a nine-hole golf course. And uh, when I first started playing the golf course, it was a, it had sand greens and um, no irrigation, and uh, really kind of grew up on dirt and sand greens growing up. So I had to learn how to hit uh, golf shots, you know, off dirt in real tight lies. And I think that's what really helped me become a good ball striker, but at the same time helped develop an unbelievable short game. And uh, you know, we had. Well, close to 300 members in a town that had 3,000 people, so it was kind of the it's kind of the focal point and centerpiece of uh, of the town. So you know, you're talking you know oil roughnecks and farmers and ranchers. You know, there was hardly ever a car in the parking lot. <laughs> it's all tractors, tractors, and trucks and trailers and all that. And that's that's kind of how how I, I grew up. Well, a tenth of your population was members at the club, so you'd see them at the yeah, club yeah, on Sunday right. and uh, Saturday and at church on Sunday, huh? Yeah, and uh, so it was truly a country club, there is no doubt. Um, and, you know, I, I grew up there, and G.L. Myers was the pro, and he took me under his wing, and, you know, I kind of got into golf accidentally. I was a baseball player growing up and got into in golf at a, a young age and, you know, kind of picked it up, and a good friend of mine and his family kind of introduced me to it. We didn't have any resources, you know. It was, 
you know, you get a set of clubs and you don't know what you got and you just go out and hit it. And I did that for a while and my family was, uh, um, kind of saw that I, I had uh, some strengths in, in the game and they said, hey, you know, you got to figure it out. You know, you got to find the resources. So it was a mission. Um, you know, I was a basketball player as well as I got older and, um, you know, I'm 6'4 and so, you know, I'm on the taller side of golf. But, you know, I played, I was fortunate enough, I played college golf at uh, Oklahoma City University and uh, finished up there. And I got into business, uh, my first my first professional's job. Uh, but I'd worked, in, back up saying, I worked in the business every aspect. Of it. I worked for Jerry Cosby at Bartlesville at Hillcrest Country Club, which is just a few miles from us, which was Perry Maxwell Golf Course. And Hogan played there a lot um, in his day, and he really enjoyed the golf course. So... I had some, you know, guys that influenced me from the very beginning. Once I kind of got out of the, the little country town there, I uh, went to school in Oklahoma City, and then uh, I went to work for Eldridge Miles at Glen Eagles Country Club. You know, when I got to actually start working there in the summers when I was in college, coming down to Dallas from Oklahoma City, and Eldridge taught me a, a lot about the business, and obviously Glen Eagles was a premier club. And so I learned a ton there, and I kept developing my game and, and working my game. And it really, my game really started getting good. And so I, I went out and played for a few years on the mini tours and satellite tours, and that was probably the best thing that I had ever done. But I, but I knew teaching was eventually going to be my direction because I was always someone that wanted to understand how things worked. I mean, I, I remember growing up my when I got my first bicycle, let alone my motorcycle, I'd had it demolished and take apart in the garage within two days and you know, scattered all over the place and put it back together. So I've always had a mechanical type mind. So, you know, working in all facets of the business, um, and it took me to California, and uh, I was in California for several years, and I got involved in the resort business. And then I really started honing my teachings, and, um, you know, I was in Monterey Peninsula at Carmel Valley Ranch and uh, became the director of operations out there. And then I was recruited uh, by the Four Seasons to come to work for Byron Nelson to run his golf schools. And that was in uh, 1998. And I moved to Dallas in uh, 1998 and worked for four seasons and worked for Byron Nelson, worked side-by-side side with him for three years. And um, our schools really were corporate entertainment venues and um, developed a lot of contacts. And I went back out on my own, and I started a company called On Par Productions, which uh, specialized in client relationship management and, and working with, uh, you know, Fortune 500 companies, small-cap, large-cap companies, in managing their golf relationships and doing executive schools. And at that same time, I partnered with uh, uh, the Jer Jerry Jones and his group when the Dallas Cowboys Golf Club was being built. And then that became my new home base of operations, and I have been here. For, uh, this is starting my 11th season now. So uh, that's kind of the Reader's Digest version <laughs> of, of, of how it all happened and how I wound back up. It's, it's interesting how things went run full circle. Well, kind of being you know, like – Trevino, self-taught, growing up on dirt greens. Do you feel like you learn more about the golf swing, managing it your own swing, or do you learn more as time went on from your students and, and play more off of that? Tom, that's a great question. I think it's a combination of both. Um, I think that had I not grown up in that environment, in those conditions, what I learned definitely influenced what I had had uh, learned and taught myself and the people that helped me from the beginning. But those conditions, you know, you have no choice but to become a better ball striker in those conditions. And then you take a little bit of the, the technology and the knowledge from the great instructors out there. You know, I had an opportunity to spend some time around some of the best 
teachers and coaches in the industry. And I was always taught, you know, my dad always told me, he says, look, if you're going to have success, you've got to hang around the best. And, and that's sort of, that's what I did. And I kind of, I've kind of lived my life like that of learning from the absolute best. And so when you do that, and man, I sought teachers from all over the world and would go see them. And, um, I had a joint venture with Wide World of Golf that took me traveling around the world three times. So, um, I think you, you were, you know, golf to me, it stands for a game of life first. And you're, we're constantly learning all the time. But I think at the end of the day, to be a great teacher, you've got to have great students. And great students are, those are our teachers. I mean, even the kids, the kids teach us more life lessons than we can possibly even learn um, on our own. But I think the students are the ones that help really build uh, great teachers. There's no doubt. Sean, talk about some of those students. I took a look at the list of some of your alumni. It's pretty impressive being where you've been, like you said, California and, and at Cowboys Club and all over the country. But uh, quite a network on your BlackBerry, I'm sure, of people that you have worked with. You know, I've been very, very lucky and very fortunate. And, um, <clears throat> you know, it's you know some of the guys that I've, that I've worked with, I mean, just – you know, recently over the last you know few seasons, had the opportunity to work with Brant Job and 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 help rebuild his golf swing from the accident that he had. And and Brant and I go back a long ways. We've been friends a long time. And and he had this accident, and you know, basically kind of had to pull off the tour for a little while. And and um, we went to work. And man, it was it was a challenge. It really was. And Brant's you know just a phenomenal athlete and and strong as a bull and pound for pound, probably one of the strongest guys out there on tour. And arguably, you know, when Last year, he you know, was in the tops of overall driving uh, on the PGA Tour, and we did. We rebuilt his golf swing, which was, for me, it's all about the process, and that's kind of the way I live my life. The end results will always take care of itself if you stay, if you adhere to the process and you stay steadfast in the process, and we kind of get caught up in the end results, and, um, and Brant was, you know, uh, brilliant enough and smart enough and knew that... Uh, he believed in the changes that need to happen, and he made the changes. And arguably, you know, he, I mean, he had a great, great year last year, and he's now he's he's, uh, he's one of the few. There's a category on the PGA Tour that's called a veterans exemption, and it's a lifetime exemption. When you make 150 cuts on the PGA Tour, you're exempt for life. And uh, last year in 2011, he made the first three cuts of the season, and that got him into that uh, veterans category. So, I mean, <clears throat> when you talk about lessons and you know, who, who's really the teacher and who's really the student? I think, you know, I think I probably learned more from Brant than he probably learned from me, you know. And I take that and I share that with uh, our kids in our training and, and our other students, you know. You know, the, I think probably some of the best lessons I ever learned were from Byron Nelson, you know, just his wisdom um, from, the, the, you know, the legendary, you know, Iron Byron was just unbelievable, um, you know, Bill Parcells is is, uh, is is one of my really good friends, and you know I consult with him, you know, on a monthly basis, and I see him, you know, several times a year. But you know, from a, I think it's, you know, when you look at the people that have come into your life, and you know whether they're, you know, the Bill Parcells or the Brant Jobs or the, the Tony Romos or what have you, it's they're people that have unique stories, and. They're exceptionally, um, they're, they're the experts at what they do. And, and Parcells has given me so much more advice. You know, 
when you look at coaches at that level, they have the three intangibles. They, they're, they're great teachers, they're great coaches, and they're great trainers. And I believe it takes those three intangibles to be the best um, in, in a coaching arena. And those are things that I've learned from, from, uh, from Bill Parcells. And, I mean, we've, he still helps me today. We're working on a project right now that uh, we're getting ready to bring to fruition. And um, it's, I, I learned more from these guys, from, you know, these top guys. I mean, Sean Payton, I had the opportunity to work with him. You know, he's coaching at New Orleans. And, and one of the most amazing individuals that I worked with, and, and Parcells said he's probably one of the most intense coaches that I've ever been around. <laughs> That's Parcells saying that, you know, which is <laughs> it's pretty neat. Those are things that you, you don't know, you know. Um, so, man, I, I've been lucky to, and, you know, David Hearn, when I worked with David Hearn, um, gosh, I follow, I worked with a lot of guys on the, on the Canadian tour, you know, many years and just following the Canadian tour and watching these players because I knew I wanted to become a better coach and, and, uh, worked with David and in one season, um, literally got him from the Canadian tour to winning on the Canadian tour to get an exemption in Alberta, uh, for the nationwide and he won there. And, and then got his PGA Tour card all in one season. And so, um, you know, I caddied for Anders Holtman right out of uh, Oklahoma State. He's a four-time All-American, and he's a student of mine as well. And I caddied in his first uh, professional event, and he won. So, and you know, the experiences that you get, I mean, you can't help but learn from that, right? It's pretty cool stuff. And, and like you said, coaches, great coaches, like the Parcells and the Paytons and all that. I guess they don't mind being coached in something like this, right? They'll, they'll, they're open and they'll listen. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you know, with these guys, they, we'll sit and talk coaching and talk players and development and turning players around and challenging, you know, challenges that you have with players and mentoring. Uh, you know, it's just beyond teaching and um, that's what I really enjoy about it. You know, it's like our, our like our uh, training, you know, club that we have here in Dallas. We have 125, you know, uh, juniors in our training program, and so, you know, it's run like an NCAA type football program with coaches, and it's like it's like football practice every day for all these different levels of, of training. And so, you know, that's that's what really, man, that that's kind of my heartbeat. You know, that's what really keeps me going in the. Teaching. I mean, I, I teach and coach now more the last, you know, several years than I have in my life. And uh, you, I can't get enough of it because it's, it's changed. You know, the industry really has changed. It's, you know, I don't give, I hardly ever give any private lessons anymore because the model has really changed to teaching and coaching and training. And, you know, you have to see your students a lot to help them get better. And you got to understand your students. Uh, it's not just give them a, a lesson and send them on their way to go figure it out. It's like going and taking a Spanish lesson. Oh, well, I'm going to go take a one-hour Spanish lesson, then I'm going to go take another one next month. I mean, how is that supposed to work? So I, mean, I kind of feel <laughs> guilty of all the, you know, the, the one-hour private lessons that I gave earlier in my career. I kind of wish I could give them the money back, you know? Uh, you know, that's why I see is that, you know, you look at all these, elite sports, you know, external uh, sport training programs, elite soccer or select soccer, baseball, basketball, and football, these external training clubs, you know, golf has really never had that. You know, it's 
It's always been, um, you know, tennis started developing that. Balateri did, uh, uh, and John Gardner did out in California, you know, creating these tennis camps. But golf, you know, really hasn't had that. You know, Ledbetter, you know, really set the, the, the course for us as coaches, um, saying, hey, it's all right for these elite guys to have their training. And he developed, you know, arguably one of the best, you know, boarding schools and training programs in, in Bradenton. But, however, you know, those are boarding-type schools. There's not any actually external, you know, training camps like, like we have in a metropolitan area with 6.5 million people. And, you know, we represent six different uh, high school districts, and, you know, we're an accredited after-school program. Um, you know, so we're working with the high school. We're working with the educators. And uh, it's, it, it is quite a cool process, you know, developing these kids and, you know, creating champions. We create two types of champions. We create champions in golf and champions in life. And, you know, some of these kids, uh, 100% of our, our seniors over the last eight years, nine years, have all received golf scholarships. And uh, that is kind of my priority in, in doing that. But, um, uh, you know, as you can see, I'm pretty passionate about this stuff, man. <laughs> you know. Sean Humphreys joining. Sean, you mentioned Byron Nelson earlier. And I'm in our studio right now. I'm looking at a picture of Byron and Ben Hogan at the Masters back when. And I was looking at a picture a couple days ago of Ben Hogan hitting balls at Hillcrest. And I was like, boy, how cool would that be to watch him hit balls back then? surgically with that equipment how has technology today affected the way you teach and the way teaching is because obviously what they played with back in the 50s and early 60s i mean this is star wars compared to that what we have today that's a a very good question and it's and it's always been a concern um you know of, of where um technology's going and I think that you know at the end of the day when when it all came about um, the, the golf ball is the one that is the hottest technology that's out there when, when, and, and when you look at elite players when you look at PGA Tour and uh, elite players that you know that swing the club you know over a hundred you know I think it's a hundred hundred 15 miles an hour, whatever it is at that point, to where you can benefit from um, the golf ball. And the golf ball is what uh, really has increased the distance. Uh, technology has definitely gotten better. Quality control of manufacturers has gotten better. I mean, gosh, you look at it, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, you know, with the graphite shafts, the quality control of graphite was, it would you know, you would have to take... You know, if you were going to build a set of irons, you'd have to go through, you know, 30 or 40 shafts to get somewhat of a close variance to build a set of irons and graphite. Well, the process has changed so much because of the technology in actually building that material has gotten so much more refined. So the quality control, I think, from the manufacturers has gotten so much better. So now they can produce product that, uh, that they can pass on to the consumer to uh, help elevate and escalate their game, and then you you you, uh, you take that and you put it together with uh, with the teaching and coaching and training that's out there today. I mean, you're gonna you have an opportunity to become a better player in a shorter period of time. I'll, I, this is a great story. When I was working for for Byron, he was telling the story when they were developing the Iron Byron, and uh, he had gone up to Chicago and said, "Hey, we want you to come up and." 
hit a bunch of balls, we're building this machine, and, you know, you're the best ball striker. He was signed on with Wilson at the time. So he said he went up to Chicago, and they put him in this black suit in this barn, and he's hitting balls for hours. He said it was hotter and you know what. He goes, I'm sweating like crazy, and I hit balls for like two days uh, with a five iron, and they took all these pictures. And so I, I, I get back home, and he goes, I get a call from the uh, gentleman at Wilson and said, hey, Byron, um, you know, we're looking at all these photographs, you know, on this graph, uh, graph camera and a sequence camera. He goes, the ca- something's wrong. Something was wrong with the camera, uh, and you're going to need to come back up, and we're going to need to redo this. And he goes, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, something's wrong with the camera because it impacts you in the same position every single time. Byron <laughs> said, there's nothing wrong with your damn camera. <laughs> So that's how the, the Iron Byron was built, uh, was from Byron going up and hitting shots for two days. And they used the old sequence graph, graphics camera there, uh, which, which, which was pretty cool, you know. I got to, you know, Byron got, to, I got to watch him hit balls, and which was. Something you never forget. Oh, my gosh. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll never forget. He came out um, uh, the first year I was there. And, uh, you know, he had two hip replacements and had had, you know, some problems with it. His body didn't fully accept it. So there was some challenges that with that. And, you know, he was hitting the first ball off the tee at Augusta, you know, at the Masters every year. And that was the most important shot for him to hit. And he would come out and say, hey, Sean, I need to I need to go out and hit some balls. But, you know, I need for you to watch me. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> You're asking me? to watch Lord Byron hit balls. I'm like, sure, okay, I'll be more happy to watch you hit some balls. And So he was struggling with it, and he says, well, you know, what do you think, man? You know, I'm, I'm catching it then. I'm, you know, having problems with it. I'm like, so I, I had his book, Winning Golf, right? Right. The original, the original one. And I'd noticed that his ball position was way up, you know, almost outside his left foot. And... So I ran in, ran into the, to the, the Byron Nelson School there, grabbed the book, opened it up, and I went over and I showed him. I said, hey, Byron, I said, you know, to me it looks like your ball position is too far forward, but in, in the book here, you know, you've got it a little bit inside, almost off your heart or off the logo on, on your chest there. He looks at me, you know, it's kind of stern looking, and goes, you know, Sean, we get off track and we don't even know it. And, I mean, he just... Move the ball back two ball positions and just started ripping it. Like, oh my God. Thank God, you know. <laughs> oh my God, Sean! So, Sean, so we could go on for hours, and hopefully, oh. hopefully, you and I can redo. You can hook back up, you know, another time later this year. Let me ask you one or two, couple more things. But right now, in most of the country, it's off season. Now, where you are, you could it, it could be, and it might not be, depending on the depending on the the mood of the weather that day. What can players be doing right now, stretching, uh, tuning in their house, if they can't get outside to uh, to make sure that they'll be in better in, in better readiness to do it when, once their season hits? You know, I, I think it comes down to three things. Um, is is one is is from the from the mind standpoint, you got to keep your mind in in golf and. As opposed to, you know, maybe your clubs might get hung up for, you know, a period of time, but you don't need to let your mind uh, close off to it. So, you know, constantly watch the tournaments. Um, 
pick up a book to read or the magazine. You've got the web that you have all all kinds of access to. And, you know, next is that, you know, just doing some stretching exercises or just doing some type of cardio to keep your blood pumping um, is, is great. Now, I'm not, you know, there's so many exercises out there, and there's so much available on, on the web. Um, but any type of stretching, um, you know, you keep your hamstrings loose, you know, you keep your low back. Those are probably the most important parts. Um, as, as we get older, you know, I'll say, okay, 40-plus, that's probably the majority of our listeners, 40-plus uh, is that, you know, you've got to keep your low back, you've got to keep your hamstrings and your quads, you've got to keep them loose. So any, any, any of that type. And I think the third is, is that, you know, set yourself up a, uh, a putting uh, mat or a putting turf in, inside. And, you know, it's easy to do. Put it in your office, something that, you know, you've got a carpet that you can roll up to keep working your feel because your feel is the first thing that will go uh, when you don't spend any time um, hitting balls. You know, you lose the touch. But if you can just do that... Keep your mind exercised. You know, one of the things that we do have, Thomas, you know, I, I launched uh, the Elite Golf Academy. It's called the EGA, and it's an online, it's the only online training program in, uh, on the web, and uh, you can see it on my website at seanhumphries.com. But it's got all types of training information uh, uh, on that as well. So, you know, that, that could be a resource to, to help you folks check it out as well. But I think you've got to keep your mind, you keep your mind in it, it's going to get you uh, – more enthusiastic about the game, you can do a little bit of practicing indoors and putting. But I think keeping the keep the low back uh, stretched and keep your hamstrings because those tie into your low back because that's where we start having issues as you know in our forty plus ages. Those are some great tips. Everybody thinks about the weighted clubs and stretching, but the two things you brought up that I don't think people think enough about. One is just the the mental side of it, staying staying in golf, either be it internet, golf channel, the magazines, uh, watching TV, um, and not being opposed to anything new. I mean, 10 years ago, no one would have thought of taking a hybrid and, and using it for a bump shot from the side of the green, but they see somebody on TV doing it, and then next thing you know, you can maybe practice that in your living room. Absolutely, and I'll tell you what, I think probably the most important thing that's overlooked at is, I mean, you guys have some, you guys have the coolest stores in the country. And, you know, even if there's snow on the ground or what have you, you guys are open. Yeah, we're open. <laughs> and you guys are open every day. And you guys got the great putting corral. You can go in there and hit balls into the net. You can putt. You can hang out. You've got the, the flat screens everywhere. You can look at technology. You guys are playing golf 24-7 in there. So, you know, get out of the house. And go to Edwin Watts and check out all the cool things that you guys have in golf because you guys are golf. And I would bet one of your better pupils, who's not a pro golfer, Tony Romo, I bet he has a putter and puts some balls once a week or something like that, just to you know, the hand eye. I probably it probably fits right next to his football. Be my guess. Well, I have to ask you this: It's the middle of the summertime, and he makes it to the second or third round of amateur or open qualifying, and he's got. He's got mini camp coming up. Does he call you to ask you which one he should do? I don't want anything to do with that. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think I know the first one that would go. Jerry would be making a phone call to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, the website is uh, SeanHumphreys.com. You can learn all about Sean. I'm, Sean, I assume your contact information is on there as well. Fi- final thoughts for our listeners? Hey, you know what? Enjoy this great game. It, it is a game of life first. Uh, 
it's it's ups and downs, but you know what? Uh, that's what's great about it. It is a great fight. I've been in I've been around this game for 35 years in teaching, coaching, training. I'm not going anywhere. I'm keep trying to better myself every year. So I challenge you, uh, listeners, for 212. Uh, better yourself in the game, understand what your strengths and weaknesses are, and uh, once you understand those, uh, whether it's short game, chipping, putting, full swing, distance wedges, uh, course management, challenge yourself on it and get better at it. Sean Humphreys, thanks so much, my friend. Let's do it again. Sounds good, buddy. Have a great thanks. day. Thanks. What a wonderful time to spend learning about instruction, learning about how to keep your mind and body right before the season starts so you can get off to a great start. Thanks so much, Sean. And thanks to you again, our listeners, and let's do it again next time when we have another episode of Golf Better at edwinwattsgolf.com. So long, everyone.